How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? You know, it's been a pretty good week. Uh, it's been fun watching the markets do what they do. Yeah, other than that, not too much. Now, I have to ask, Now, are, are were you one of the Reddit people that decided to screw with Wall Street? By that, you mean get in late? Yes. Okay, so do you mind explaining that just a little bit to me? Because I, I kind of saw it on social media, but I didn't really follow it up too closely. Do you mind just kind of breaking that down yeah. for me real quick? First of all, usual disclaimers. One, I'm just me. My views don't, my views, explanations, whatever, don't represent uh, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation in any way. Two, this is not financial advice. Please do not trade on this. So, basically, what the idea is... A few guys on a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, which is known for basically doing insane gambling with over-leveraged positions and financial options, noticed that there was an insane amount of short interest on the company GameStop. So basically, short interest means that there's a bunch of people out there or someone with deep pockets who thinks that the business isn't as healthy as the stock market thinks it is they think in short order the price is going to fall so to take advantage of that there's a few ways you can do it the way that uh, a few large hedge funds decide to do it is they decide to sell the stock short so basically what that means is you borrow the the short the stock from usually a market maker like dtc or citadel or something like that and uh, they charge you a fee to borrow the stock from them you sell the stock and then buy it back at a later date. And if the price of the stock falls, you pocket the difference between what you sold it at and what you bought it at. So what a few people on Wall Street Pets noticed is that a few hedge funds had massive, massive short positions on GameStop. We're talking uh, at the beginning of January, there was about 135% of the floating stock was sold short. So that means more than the publicly available of stock available these guys needed to purchase in some way and if someone's not gunning for you that's not a problem because what will often happen is these market makers will lend the same stock will lend the stock to someone the person they lent it to will then sell short the person who bought it from the short seller then will lend it to someone else blah 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 blah. you synthetically create stock for people to buy that way so what can happen is something known as a short squeeze so someone notices that there's these huge levered positions someone and this usually happens by one actor will go up and buy a ton of the share that's being shorted and then that makes it so the person who's shorted the stock cannot buy it unless they buy it from you so then you get you essentially get to name the price one of my favorite examples is back in 2013 one particular investor bought all the bonds of one company that 
was going to drop, this bet that was going to be worthless. So this, so they were shorting the hell out of it, and it was oversubscribed. And this guy, he bought it all, like literally bought every single bond, to the point where the hedge funds that were short the bond had to go to this guy's house and ask him to sell. And the guy's like, "Well, you better name your price." Or it's, you know what, it sucks, but it happens. Sometimes you end up on the, the wrong end of the trade. So what's interesting about what's happening with Wall Street Bets right now is it's not just one person. It's not just one firm doing the squeeze. This is a bunch of people trying to execute this squeeze. There's another technical part that I'm not going to go into called a gamma trap. That is another fundamental part of why the prices were also going crazy last week in particular. That has to do with financial options, but I think that's a bit too much for the show. So basically, what's happening is these people on Reddit, they bought enough and managed to hold on for long enough to cause the price of the share to go up as the hedge funds had to buy it back. And people kept pouring in and pouring in. So tons of these shares are changing hands, so it's getting incredibly volatile. Price is going up as the interest is going up. Options are expiring, shorts have to be cleaned, and at the same time, it's almost impossible for brokers and even the clearing houses to get access to the shares. So they're seeing this insane volatility. The people who usually rent out shares for short selling are jacking up the fees to borrow the stock because there's no, usually, you're getting your share back. Or the company went back corrupt, so you don't even care that you're getting your short back your shorted stock back when you lend it out this time there's no guarantee you're getting it back because people are buying it so damn quickly that you might not get it back from your short seller or your short seller goes tits up and isn't able to retrieve it so the fees for borrowing the stock are going up making the short positions even more untenable on top of that the financial plumbing is getting scared so normally brokers don't have to hold all the stock that they sell because they know over the usual course of buying and selling, they'll get what they need. That's their function as a market maker. However, because these shares are moving so goddamn quickly, they've had to increase their collateral requirements. So brokers like Robinhood, Charles Schwab, TD, etc., usually they can get away with only holding about 10 to 20% of the shares that are going through, their, that they're sending to the clearinghouses to make sure that the trades go through. And that's usually all they need. So they can use their money on other stuff, usually in the form of reducing fees to their clients or making better spreads, that sort of thing. The collateral requirements are now up to 100%. The brokers have to be able to get the share for you to buy it because the clearing houses don't want to be stuck holding the bag with this. And when you're getting to that sort of pinch on the system, you know some serious shit could happen because the short it's very hard to hold a short and very expensive. So you might have like the short sellers are probably closing out their shares their short positions whenever they can because there's not only no guarantee that they will get a share to close it out. It's very 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 costly to hold the short position. I've heard that some of the some of the market makers are asking for like 50 to 100% per here. I think it's per week of holding the share as their short fee when it's usually a fraction of that. So these positions are completely untenable to hold. So they're trying to close it up whenever they can, paying the 
very high price for the share of GameStop. So these guys are selling off other assets that they hold so they can buy the GameStop, the GameStop shares to close their positions. Which, because they're selling off broadly, usually a lot of it's like blue chippers too, like Apple, Facebook, U.S. Steel, that sort of thing. Your note, during last week, most, like the broad indices, like your S&P 500, TSX, whatever, had down days because funds were having to sell off to cover their shorts. And then because of this pressure, the volatility on everything else went up. So a lot of safe funds that were holding stock, their value at risk changed because the market got more volatile, which means they are required by their fiduciary duty to provide a safe hold of value to their customers to de-risk their profile. So they have to sell because the market's getting really frothy. So they're selling up assets too, which puts downward pressure on the market as a whole. So I'm not going to offer any any prediction at what's going to happen because at this point with the market this volatile, that's a fool's errand. But it could be nothing. could cause a crash. Who the hell knows? And we have started to see some contagion. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that just because, like I said, I saw it on social media and I was just like, I'm not a math guy. I don't follow the stock market or finances, but I know that because of your trade as an economist, I figured that we had to get the first 10 minutes of this episode to ask you all about it. Was that seriously 10 minutes? Yep. Before editing, wow. anyway, yes, it was about 10 minutes. And I guess, like, was most of that just, like, me talking? Yes. And this, and this is why that, you know, this is why we have you on the show, Tim, to give us some insight on what's going on in the stock market this week. Just to completely reiterate, that is not financial advice. Do not trade on it. No. But you know what, Tim? I have to say, even though you're not giving financial advice on that, and neither am I, because we got to talk about today's cover athlete, because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 3, in chronological order, Episode 80, the Brian Murray episode. So just a little backstory about Brian Murray. He was hired as Ottawa Senators head coach in June of 2004 after serving as head coach for the Washington Capitals, Detroit Red Wings, Florida Panthers, and the Anaheim Mighty Ducks prior to his stop in Ottawa. He coached for two full seasons in Ottawa from 0506 to 0607 before he was promoted to general manager in 2007. He also coached part of the 0708 season. He recorded a 107, 55, and 20 win-loss record while winning the Northeast Division in the 0506 season and leading the Ottawa Senators to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2007. So, you know, Tim, and I was thinking about this today because, you know, Brian Murray is a very interesting figure in the history of the Ottawa Senators because when I think of Brian Murray with the Senators, I don't think of him as a head coach. I think of him as a general manager. And I know that we were talking about this, I believe it was on last week's episode, or it might have even been two episodes ago, when we were talking about John Muckler. Because John Muckler, I think in the grand scheme of things, is such an underrated GM in the grand scheme of things, just because of how big the shadow Brian Murray casted after he left. And what's interesting is, and I've noted this book, this sounds a lot, is like, their coaches have surprisingly short shelf lives, although Brian Murray's is not because of a lack of performance. But it's at the same time, I think 
my most memorable Brian Murray moment is definitely for Brian Murray, the coach. And I think you already know what this is. Am I going to take a wild guess here, Tim, and say it was the brawl between the Senators and the Sabres in February of 2007? It is the brawl when Brian Murray is so incensed about Lindy Ruff sending his goon squad against the Spezza line that he is standing on the dasher screaming at Lindy Ruff. Well, what I love about that clip, Tim, is that you see Lindy Ruff go around the stanchion where Rob Ray was standing there, who is the Sabres... Jesus uh, Christ, I can't even think of his title. It's, it's what Jamie McLennan does for the Sens on TSM between the benches. And you can see Rob Ray turning his mic off because apparently Rick Jenneret up in the booth told him, says, hey, like, cut your mic, like, when they're yelling. So he cut his mic, but you can still hear those two yelling at each other. My favorite moment of that is when you when uh, you hear Lindy going, go after Peters, don't go after our fucking captain. favorite part of the primary is standing on the dasher i know that's a total gangster move right there you know that's one thing when you're standing on the bench it's another when you're standing on that part of the bench and you're yelling at him like i remember watching that as it was happening and i was like is he going to go around is he going into the buffalo bench oh my god could you imagine that would have been amazing that would have been way better than when if you remember when Patrick Waugh was the head coach of Colorado and he pushed the whole thing right over. Or like when Torts followed uh, Calgary's coach into the dressing room. Yeah. What he was in Vancouver. Well, like his, I think that was the last game he coached in Vancouver too. Uh, I don't think so. I think he, he continued coaching, but I think he got fired by the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But it's Brian Marie. It's a, I think he's probably one of the best coaches to never win a Stanley Cup. He has to be. He has to be. And, I mean, you look at his track record. Like, he won Coach of the Year. He won division titles. The only thing he didn't win was a Stanley Cup. And it's interesting that the teams he was on, or even some of the teams he helped build, like the Detroit Red Wings back in the day, were teams that eventually got her done. Yeah, or even the 2003 Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. In that draft, he took Ryan Getzlaff and then traded up to take Corey Perry late in the first round. Yeah, like, I bet I bet he wishes he had that day. one back, eh? Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. So, Tim, we got to talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode will be Season 4, Episode 4, in chronological order, Episode 81. Now, we only got two players on the board, and believe me, Tim, we've got some big heavy hitters here. We've got Phil Veroni and Ron Hainsey. These are some real sense classics we got here, Tay. But I guess if Ron Hainsey wins, are you just going to scream profanities at the beginning of the episodes? Yeah, probably. Nice. Yeah. So, Tim, now that we got that all out of the way and we got you to cover what's been going on on Wall Street, I'm going to ask the all-important question. How has your week been going? Honestly, I haven't done too much other than the Wall Street stuff. Yeah? Yeah, no. Well, how about that? Well, I guess I I watched hockey. That's true, and, you know, not good hockey, but we watched hockey. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I'll talk a little bit about my week. Now, 
one thing I do want to bring up him, and I I hope you let me have the floor here for a few moments, because this past Thursday was Bell Let's Talk Day. And it was about this time last year that I revealed to our listeners that I have been dealing with mental health issues for a while, and I felt I was pretty candid. I was pretty candid about what I was going through. I was honest with the listeners. And I feel that since the Bell Let's Talk Day just, did just pass, I got to give a bit of an update. I feel like I owe the listeners that. And I know that I'm sure our listeners and people who listen to podcasts or watch YouTube or just consume content in general, I, I, I'm sure they're so tired and hearing about what a tough year 2020 was for everybody and for themselves. And I was no different. You know, I was no different because of the isolation, because of the lockdown. I wasn't at work. I couldn't really go out and do anything. Like I'll admit, like my mental health took a hit as well. You know, like I dealt with depression. Luckily, I didn't deal with anxiety, but there definitely were moments. Like I wasn't dealing with anxiety attacks, but there was definitely those anxious moments of like, just not sure and not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And so I decided to be proactive about this. And so like I, I was off work from like mid to late March until when did I go back to work? I think late July, early August. So I was off for quite a while. And in that time, like I just decided to not just sit around and do nothing. So like I would go out and do road runs or, do cleaning stuff around the house. Just try to keep busy. Just try to keep my mind motivated and keep going. And like I said last week, this podcast has been a huge help with with, with, with what I deal with. Because it kept me motivated. It kept my mind going. It kept my mind occupied. To the point where if I didn't have this podcast and we went into complete lockdown, I would have gone completely insane. Like, I don't think I could have handled it. And so for me, like... Like, I'm very fortunate to have this podcast, to get to chat with you every week. And even over the lockdown and everything that we went through, you know, I, I just look back at all the content that we created. Like, we interviewed Bruce Firestone, Stuntman Stu. Like, we got to talk with some great people. We got to do a lot of great episodes. And I know for myself, like, people I work with have struggled in 2020. And I, I won't go into too many details about those, just out of respect, because I hadn't asked... Uh, Ask them if that was cool if I could talk about it. So I won't go into that. But, you know, I know some people I worked with, like, they deal with mental health stuff in 2020. And I definitely tried to help them out with that. And I wish these fucking dogs would shut the hell up up there. But, you know, that's not the point. But, you know, it, it is going to come off as being a little bit rambly. Because I don't really have anything prepared for this. I just wanted to speak from the heart. And just let, let the listeners know. Like, let the listeners know what I've been dealing with. Like... I'm sure they're tired of hearing, like, listen, you're not alone. And everything that you've heard, every YouTuber, every podcaster, everything you've heard from every content creator. And the one person I do got to give a huge shout out to, or two people, actually. One of them is Bruce Garriock, and the other is John Liu. Bruce Garriock, I can't recall which game it was this week. I liked it. Did he talk about this? I think he talked about during the broadcast talk about is that he deals with anxiety. I can't imagine being on television and dealing with anxiety. And John Liu, I got to give a huge shout out to him because he was very honest about his struggles during the 2020 pandemic. Like he dealt with depression. He dealt with 
all kinds of mental health stuff because of the loss of his sister. He dealt with COVID-19 and just a lot of stuff in his life. And then that's very, that's very awesome. That's really cool to see that so many people are so open about it. They're so open about their struggles. They're so open to talk about this because, you know, the term sick knock week really means a lot to a lot of people. And I know our bod Neil from podcast, he was open about his dealings with anxiety and the mental health stuff that he deals with. Adam was open about his on three ghosts and wait four ghosts. And I'm no different here. Like I was open about what I've been dealing with. And I felt like I just, you know, I owed the audience that I owed them to let them know what I've been dealing with. And the fact that I've been doing fairly well, if I'm being perfectly honest, like I have my days as I talked about last week, right? Like I dealt with, you know, night terror and whatever, and just had a really rough day and it happens. It happens, but you know what? I'm, I'm dealing with it. I'm learning to live with it. Yeah, no. And that's kind of the big, the big thing is uh, like, it is learning to deal with it, getting better every day. And I think the other kind of incredible part is just, it is such a common experience. Yeah, and I think that was the one thing about the Bell Let's Talk Day and the Sick Not Week campaign and a lot of these initiatives now is that we're now learning that this is a more common thing than a lot of people realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, it's, it's kind of amazing just how much it's changed over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been a fast change. I think so. And I know even for myself, and I, I know that everybody on social media, they always they always joke about, you know, getting day drunk and all that stuff because, you know, what else are you going to do, right, during the day? And I'm not going to lie, like, I wasn't, like, I wasn't hammered every single day, but, you know, every weekend I'd do it, and it just eventually got to a point where I would do it, wake up the next morning feeling like shit, and then, like, depression sat in for like two days and to that point and i'll make this point now like even now like i i don't even get drunk anymore like i just i can't do it my body can't handle it anymore my mental health just deteriorates when i do it and i know that you've talked about i don't know if you talked about on the podcast but i know you like you don't drink anymore and and you've talked about your reasons why and i'm kind of in the same boat i just feel like you know what yeah like i'm more of a social drinker anyway but, you know, I, I do got to realize, like, if I'm going to get, go out and have my beers, that I do pay for it for, like, two days afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, at some point you realize it's, it's not worth it anymore. No, it's not. And, you know what, and I think for me, like, yeah, you know what, if you're having a good time and whatever and you're hanging out with your friends... Well, I hope you're not hanging out with your friends right now because of COVID-19 and I hope that you're still staying safe. But you know what? If you're just like, if you're staying socially distant, having a beer, that's fine. And I'm not gonna lie. Like I did it. I did it during COVID. I had one of my friends who was in my bubble and we had a beer, but we were like distance and whatever. And we were just hanging out. So yeah, I mean, I don't really have any more to comment about the bell is talk day. I just figured to give everybody a bit of a, a rambly update. Like I said, because I don't have, I didn't have anything prepared for that. I just wanted to let everybody know what's been going on and just let everybody know that I've been, I've been doing all right this week. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. Although this year's bell, let's talk day was 
bizarre to say the least. Because there was all these posts like "fuck Wall Street" hashtag Let's Talk. It was just like, what? Well, it's true, but I think the big thing for that Tim is that Bell. Like, I understand why. Yeah, Bell would like donate five cents or whatever, but yeah, you're kind of. Yeah, I know. I kind of felt the same way. I'm just like, yeah, I get it that, you know, Bell is sending five cents to mental health initiative, but really? Like, okay, like one or two of them are like, okay, eh, okay, it's okay, funny, I guess. And then it just got ridiculous to the point where it's not even funny anymore. It's just like, it's been done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To quote George Harrison from The Simpsons, it's been done. I'm glad things are going well for you. And you know what? Honestly, it's always good to turn off the social media box every now and again. True. True. I mean, I know that you were doing it with Twitter for a while. And you know, I, I think the only reason really I'm on social media is because we have the podcast and I run two accounts. Y- yes, I know. There's the big spoiler alert, everybody, that I'm the one that runs the Third Line Plug Twitter account. I mean... Nobody wants to see what a Tim-run Twitter account looks like. No, but if you do want to see what a twi- Tim-ran uh, Twitter account looks like, check him out at M91HoneyBadger on Twitter. So, I gotta... You know what, Tim? We do gotta talk about last week's episode. Because, man, were we full of piss and vinegar on that episode. <laughs> Holy shit. Even looking back on it, I'm just like, wow. Like, I realized we got fired up, and we had reason to do it. But to me, it's just like... Well, I don't think that we've ever gotten to that point. We've been doing this for four years. I don't think we've ever gotten to that point where we were that pissed about this hockey team. Yeah, and you'd think we'd save it for this week. God damn. Yes, this was a this was a fucking week we're coming into. Oh, totally it was. It totally was. But you know what, though? Is that, you know, when I think about last week's episode, coming into this one, I don't know how we could have topped last week's episode. Because, honestly, like, you and I were firing at all cylinders. Our pistillary levels were really high, especially for me. And I'm and you know what's funny? Because I'm not a yeller when I'm on the podcast, unless it's, like, the hot Sam bot show or you're fired or whatever. But you could hear it in my voice. Like, I was not happy. And we're definitely going to talk about that again this week with the Sens and Canucks games. You know what, though? But, yeah. I do have to give DJ Smith credit. Christian Willanen did play until he got injured. And DJ Smith was singing the, the man's praises. So I'm going to give DJ Smith credit on that one. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the only positive Tim will say about DJ Smith this week. <laughs> so, you know, Tim, this would be the top, this would be the point of the episode where we would segue into this little segment called top of the hour. But I feel that we've got something that we need to do this week that we haven't done yet this season on the third unplugged sensecast. Yeah. One of, I would say one of our favorite segments, because I think top of the hour is a really good one for us. This little segment is called discussion point. Now, for those who don't know, discussion point is a segment where Tim and I will look at a news story, whether it's on social media or we see it during a game or we see something that we were like, okay, that's pretty fascinating. We need to check this out. So TSN actually had a really interesting post. I believe it was on their Instagram page and it was a picture of Malama McCulloch. 
And the caption was, who is the most underrated Ottawa Senator of all time? And this is where our discussion point is going to be for this week. So this comes from TSN, Tim, for discussion point. Who do you feel is the most underrated Ottawa Senator? Now we're going to pick two players for this. One for all time and one currently. Now I'm going to let you take the floor on this one and I'm going to let you tell us and explain to us the two men that you've chosen for this segment. I think for all time, I'm going to have to go with Sergei Gonchar. Because when Sergei Gonchar came to Ottawa, he was one of Brian Murray's big ticket acquisitions. And for the first year or so, it just looked like Sergei Gonchar was completely unengaged. However, one thing I definitely noticed in the later years of Gonchar in Ottawa was the mentoring effect he had on Eric Carlson. And I think a lot of Carlson's like intelligence ability to walk the blue line, like that's an innate skill, but I think he kind of learned some of the finer points a bit along the way from Sergey Gonchar, and I think that's just such an important role that was played. And having that veteran stabilizing influence of a guy who did win a, a few Stanley Cups during some of the earlier runs, I think at least kind of helped. Like the Sens did almost push the number one seed of the Rangers off the cliff in the first round. I think for the current team, it's definitely hard to say. I think I probably want to... Normally, I'd say Colin White, but I think since Twitter has been harping for him to get on the ice, so I'm not sure that's really the case anymore. So, I do think that it's uh, Chris Tierney. Chris Tierney is a perfectly capable top nine forward that gets absolutely no respect. That's actually a pretty, pretty good pick, to be honest with you, Tim. And, you know... Like, I was thinking about it, too, and I, and I have my guy. I don't know if you'll necessarily agree with it my, yourself, but I am actually very interested that you picked Sergey Gonchar because I think of him, I think of Gonchar in Ottawa as a guy who, you're absolutely right, like, he was a very veteran presence when it came to Eric Carlson, but I think that spot, I think more belongs to Philip Kuba, in my personal opinion. Uh, that's very fair, too. Yeah. So, no, I am very happy about those the two men that you picked for that. Now, I'm going to go to my picks. Now, this is one that I was kind of thinking about the last week or so when I read that post on TSN about the all-time list. Because I, I was thinking there's so many guys I could have put on that list. There was Martin Havlat I could have put on the list. Chris Kelly I could have put on that list. But all-time... I don't know if a lot of people are going to agree with this. I do have to agree. I think it has to be Milan McCulloch. Because if you really think about it, Milan McCulloch, we never got to really see how great he could have been. If he had stayed healthy, if he had stayed healthy in Ottawa, because we saw the one year he had 35 goals in Ottawa. And that was a career, I think it was a career high if I'm not mistaken. And honestly, to me, it was between McCulloch. I actually was going to go with uh, Marty Havlat because Marty Havlat was one of my favorites when I was a kid seeing the Senators. But Milan McCulloch, I don't know if a lot of people would choose him for an all-time. All-time was kind of tough. Mm-hmm. The Okay, so for a current player, though. Now, I do like your pick for Chris Tierney because I think he is a good top six player that is kind of underrated. This is another guy I don't 
I know a lot of people are probably going to disagree. I don't think... I think Senator fans love him. I don't think a lot of people outside of Ottawa really knows how good he is. It's Connor Brown. It's tough, though, because uh, I think that Toronto fans do have a lot of respect for what the guy brought to the table. True, but when you look at the grand scheme of players, I'm not talking like superstars. I'm talking like fan favorite kind of players. Unless he played for your team, Connor Brown is not a guy you think of. And neither is Chris Tierney. So I do agree with both. I, I do agree with yours. I was... I, more I think about it, I think Tierney, you're absolutely right about that, but my pick is still Connor Brown. Oh, that's fair. Just because he was one of my favorites. And also, the guy just reminds me so much of Clark MacArthur. With more, I would say more of an offensive upside. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, Tim, that was a great, great discussion point. I think that... You know, we got some really good names out of that. And you know what, listeners? If you completely disagree with our picks, and that's fine. You don't have to agree with us at all. But if you disagree and you feel that there's somebody that we didn't add on this list, when this episode comes up, let us know in the comments or shoot it up on Twitter. Yeah, just give us help. Exactly. Now they've got that out of the way, Tim. It's time to segue into this little segment I like to call top of the hour now Tim before we go into our news stories one thing I didn't add in the stories for this week and I can't believe that I didn't include this Wayne Gretzky turns 60 this past week so, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want to feel old, just remember Wayne Gretzky's 60 years old now. I mean, I was just thinking about that. I was like, wow, Gretzky's 60 already? Jesus. I mean, in fairness, he retired 20, oh God, 22 years ago. So, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. But, but you know what, Tim? Talking about Gretzky, it really didn't... It, I don't know how to word this because you know how much I hate talking about death. Former Toronto Maple Police Captain George Armstrong passed away at the age of 90. Armstrong spent 21 seasons in the National Hockey League with the Toronto Maple Leafs, recording 296 goals, 417 assists for 713 points in 1,188 games, while capping the Leafs to four Stanley Cups, including three straight from 1962 to 1964, before winning his final Stanley Cup in 1967. Post-career, he would serve in various roles with the Quebec Nordique and the Maple Leafs, including as, as a scout, assistant GM, and briefly as Leafs head coach in the 88-89 season, going 17-26-4. Armstrong was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1976 and the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame in 2010. You know, it's, it's funny, Tim, because, you know, when talking about players from a different era especially for ones from the 50s and 60s you know it always seems like i i do have i i I love learning about these guys i love talking about them george armstrong was one that it was kind of tough for me to really form an opinion just because he was not it's it's weird despite the fact that he led the leafs to four cups and he was the captain of the last of the final one in 1967 
there's not much of an opinion I have on George Armstrong, to be perfectly honest with you. The tough thing is, is that everything he's done happened before we were alive. It's true, but you know what? When you look at, like, I'm just trying to think, who was the last big name old star that passed away? I think it was Ted Lindsay. And Ted Lindsay, we had quite a bit to say because, you know, of his, excuse me, his, his involvement with the forming of the Players Union and all the stuff with hockey. But Armstrong is a guy that I think it's more like, oh, that's that's cool that, you know, he captained the Leafs of Four Cops, including 1967. And I think for me... The only note I really can make about George Armstrong, and I don't I don't know if you knew this, because, you know, with, with former Leaf players, like, they were always so willing to sign things, including Johnny Bauer, who a lot of people have stated, has the most worthless autograph in hockey. Because he signed everything. <laughs> the toughest autograph to get is George Armstrong. Because apparently George Armstrong refused to sign anything. Yes, and this was a story that I didn't know about. I think I was watching something. I think Steve Dangle was doing something on YouTube, and he was talking about this, that George Armstrong was notorious for never signing stuff for anybody. And I think the one, one of the few people he ever signed it for was this cab driver in Toronto because he was First Nations, as George Armstrong was. That's awesome. So we got to give two big shout-outs, Tim, because Buffalo Sabres forward Eric Stahl has passed Rick Nash and Pavel Bure for 69th overall, or sorry, 69th on the all-time goal list with 438. Stahl, drafted second overall by the Carolina Hurricanes in 2003, is in his first season as a member of the Sabres. Kind of crazy to think that only 70 players have scored that many goals. It is crazy, and actually, let's talk a little bit over Eric Stahl, because I can't recall, because when we did redraft the 2003 NHL draft, I, I don't recall if we talked about this, because you look at Eric Stahl's career numbers, like he has over a thousand points, he has a Stanley Cup, do you think if Eric Stahl was to retire tomorrow, do you think his career would go down as one of the more underappreciated thousand point guys in the NHL? You know, probably. Just because of how weird his career arc was. It's true. But also, and I think here's another better... Here's another question, Tim. If Eric Stahl retired tomorrow, is he a Hockey Hall of Famer? I think so. Yeah? See, and that's... Because he's got the cup in Carolina. He's got the gold medal. He's got the thousand points. And he's got... I think he's got a bunch of other trophies as well. You know what? He actually doesn't. Outside of his really? gold medal in Stanley Cup, like, yeah, he doesn't have any individual awards. I think the only thing he has, uh, does he have a Memorial Cup? I don't think he even has a Memorial Cup, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's a surprise to me, then. I know, right? Like, that's, that's crazy, because Eric Stahl has been around for a long time, and yet you would think that, oh, yeah, Eric Stahl, he's probably got, uh, you know, a trophy full of awards. No. Nothing. Yeah, he was just an all-star once. Yep. That's actually not what I was expecting, like, at all. Yeah. Now, we got to give another quick shout-out, Tim, to Dallas Stars forward Joe Pavelski, who moved into 126th overall on the all-time goal list with 373, passing 
Danny Heatley, and Eric Lindros. Pavelski, who signed with Dallas in 2019, recorded 14 goals, 17 assists for 31 points in 67 games for Dallas last season. But all of that is irrelevant because last time I checked, he didn't get 50 and 07 like Danny Heatley. Damn. That's savage. I always forget just how long Joe Pavelski's been in the league. Same. He's kind of like, again, he's like Eric Stahl. We tend to forget how long he actually has been in the NHL because he's been in the NHL since 2003. Yeah, like for whatever reason, my brain just kind of slots it. It's like, oh, he's, he's just turning 30, right? Nope. Oh, he's 36. I know, and it's crazy. Even during the game last night, uh, the TSN guys were talking about Connor McDavid because apparently Tim Stutzla used to watch him as a kid. And they're like, oh, yeah, that can't be crazy. Then you realize, like, Tim Stutzla's 18 years old and Connor McDavid's been in the league for six years. It's like, Connor oh. McDavid's almost 25. Yeah. Hey, I want to get off the ride. Uh, I know, I know. Well, I guess we should move on to our next story because, you know, one thing that we talked about during the summer was the resignation of Coyotes general manager, John Chitnia. Well... He's back in the news because the NHL has suspended former Arizona Coyotes GM John Chaika until December 31st, 2021, following an investigation into the circumstances surrounding his split with the Coyotes. Chaika, who served as Yotes GM from May 2016 until he was relinquished from his role in July of 2020. Yeah, because from the, the original reporting, it sounded like he was just trying to leave the NHL permanently to go make money in big equity. Mm -hmm. Like private equity, I think, with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. But uh, it sounds like he was actually trying to hop ship to a different NHL team. And if that's the case, that's even worse. That is. And that's a super shitty thing to do. Because, you know, when you look at the situation... Here's the thing. If you look at the Coyotes now, even though we were very... Like, we were not critical about him. We were very... We praised his moves. Like, we praised how he was willing to use analytics and some of the smart moves that he brought in. He has put that team into the doghouse right now. If you really think about it, like, the cap situation, he put them in. The terrible prospects that he signed to long extensions, he's done that. There was that drafting of um, the kid from the previous draft whose rights got forfeited. Like, I think a lot of this plays into why he ended up leaving. But also, we can't forget that the Coyotes right now, their ownership situation is going back to being terrible. Because the owner who bought the team, a large sum of his wealth had to do with casinos. Yeah, and uh, those aren't really doing stuff right now. No. You know, because when COVID-19 hit, what was the first thing that go- went down as well? Casinos. Casinos. But not to be outdone, though, Tim, the Arizona Coyotes, they are back in the news once again because, excuse me, the Arizona Coyotes have named Matt Perry and Lee Stepniak as the team's new director of analytics and hockey data strategist. Perry was formerly the senior director of hockey and pro services at SportLogic, while Stepniak was an academic All-American at Dartmouth College, majoring in economics before his 14-year NHL career. Dartmouth 
Dartmouth is a good school too. So uh, you'll serve him well. Now, I just want to ask Tim, because I know that if you're trained as an economist, did you end up getting a, a call about this position at all that we should know about? I have looking for work on LinkedIn set to off. Ah, okay. Okay, so that's why Lee Stetniak ended up getting that job. Yeah. All right, well, you know, good for him, though, man, because I actually didn't know about that. I didn't know, like, he was this, uh, you know, a real academic. You know, because I think of Lee Stepniak, I don't think of an academic. I think of kind of a, the kind of a dumb jock in a weird, weird way. Because again, he, you just take one look at him and you just say, "Okay, this guy's not a bookworm. This guy's definitely a bro." <laughs> and maybe that's like you know, never judge a book by its cover, but this is clearly what that is for me. I was just like, "Oh, that guy's actually like very smart." Yeah, he went to a better school than I did. Dartmouth's econ program, I think, is better than U of T's. Oh, okay. Because U of T is 20th in the world, and Dartmouth is around 10. Solid. I actually didn't even know about that, Tim. Pittsburgh Penguins general manager Jim Rutherford has resigned for quote-unquote personal reasons and has been replaced by interim GM Patrick Alvin. Rutherford joined the Penguins following a two-decade run as general manager of the Hartford Whalers slash Carolina Hurricanes in June of 2014. So, you know, Tim, I know that obviously the story says that he resigned for personal reasons. We all know why he ended up doing this. What? Cody CC broke him. <laughs> the... Well, it's interesting because of how convoluted this is. Because allegedly there was a trade that ownership mixed within a few days of him just dropping and it caught everyone by surprise yeah because there hasn't been any clear answer on to who this trade was about and hockey twitter just just imploded like they were talking about oh my god maybe, maybe it was crosby maybe it was malkin like who the hell was going on in pittsburgh that got him resigned yeah like maybe I've also heard Latang's name come up yeah apparently from what i was understanding it wasn't a trade for Latang. But yeah. I don't know. That would have been interesting. And, and yeah, you know, it's kind of a shame because Jim Rutherford is kind of a guy who he's cut to me. He's kind of like Ray Shiro in a weird, weird way, because you think of it that he makes his move. He makes the stupid moves that you look at and be like, what the hell are you doing? And then he makes these deals that makes him look like a genius. Yeah. And it's funny because for Rutherford, like all of those genius moves came in like the first year of his tenure. And then after that, it's just been, like, Rutherford kind of trying to clean up holes by making other holes. Yep. Like, yeah, you guys, you know who we need? Jack Johnson. Got rid of Jack Johnson. Cody CC. I know. Can I just make a mention? Because I saw this on Twitter. I can't believe that things in Ottawa have gotten so dire that we're now willing to accept a return of Cody CC. How bad has things gotten where we're willing to bring him back? I think it's a monkey's paw situation. Let's not, let's not tempt fate. That's true. We're not, not going to tempt fate, but we're going to talk about our next story because the NHLPA and NHL have announced that National Predators goaltender Connor Ingram will be away from the team while voluntarily taking part in the NHL-NHLPA Players Assistant Program. 
Now, I know the last couple of seasons, the Nashville Predators have been in the news regarding this with Austin Watson, and there hasn't been any update on what Connor Ingram's situation is all about. So, I can't really comment about it. We are going to give him, you know, give him a thumbs up, hope he gets better, and hope he gets back on the ice soon. Yeah, hoping all the best for him. Now we're going to turn our attention to the American Hockey League because the Calgary Flames AHL team, the Stockton Heat, will be playing their upcoming 2020-21 AHL season in the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta. The Heat will be joining the Belleville Senators, Laval Rocket, Manitoba Moose, and Toronto Marlies in the Canadian Division. Should it actually happen. Yeah. But you know what, and... We are going to talk about the AHL because it's funny, and I, I know that we always make comments about your beloved San Diego Gulls, but, you know, like, there's a lot of places in California right now, like, they're not even playing hockey. Like, like well, San Jose is playing out of Arizona. Yeah San, yeah, San Francisco or San Jose, San Diego, you know, the Gulls are now playing in Irvine, which, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's actually better for Anaheim, because I think Irvine's closer to Anaheim than San yeah. Diego is. Yeah, no, Chelsea has some friends that go to UCA or, sorry, UC or Ryan. You know, so good for them. But yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, if this, if that AHL season ends up happening, then, you know, it'll just be like the Canadian division of the NHL. We're all going to, you know, the Sens and the Marlies are going to be playing each other 19 times a year. Yeah. But yeah, we'll just have to see how things go over the season. Exactly. Oh, it looks like we got a blockbuster to announce. Oh, buddy. This is why I saved it for last. The San Jose Sharks have traded forward Jack Kopaka in a 2022 seventh round pick to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for defenseman Christian Yaros. Kopaka, who had previously been acquired by San Jose in a trade with Anaheim, recorded seven goals, eight assists for 15 points and 37 games for the American Hockey League's San Diego Gulls, while Yaros recorded three assists and 13 games for the Ottawa Senators last season. If Yaros couldn't crack this defense, that really says a lot about his position on the depth chart. It does. But the thing is, so and you and I were talking about this recently, it's amazing how far Yaros has fallen down the depth chart to the point where he can't crack this roster. But also, or as we saw earlier with uh, Max Lejoie, I don't know if trading a young defenseman like Yaros is such a good idea. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar like our next Eric Carlson or whatever, but Yaros is still young. Yaros is, would have been one of the top right shot defensemen in Belleville if and when they end up playing. So I'm not exactly sure why they did this move. Well, I think what happened is you had a lot of forwards graduate this year from Belleville. And at the same time, you're gonna have. There's a lot of young defensemen that'll probably come in. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Sanderson takes a spell in Belleville. Same with uh, Lassie Thompson, Jared Bernard Docker, and the like. True. That that is. Uh, yeah, that's true. But you know what, though. Still, it, it still kind of sucks to see Yaros go. It does. Because I was one of those guys. I thought you know, he would have been a decent seventh defenseman. Or maybe even a 5-6 defenseman if, if the centers could have used him that way. But, no, apparently having, you know, Erica Branson is such a better idea than that, so. Well, we're getting to the point where, like, yeah, you're saying people miss Cody Cece, and I definitely miss Mark Borgietsky, so. 
I know. There was actually somebody on Twitter that suggested maybe they should bring back Antoine Volchenkov. Does he still play? Yeah, he's, he's in Russia. He's not retired. Holy crap. I know. Like I know, that's, it's insane. That's a 20-year career. I know, so... I don't think he'll come back, but you know what? Hey, you never know, right? No kidding. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to talk about the games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. All of them versus the Canucks, and all of them were in Vancouver. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Canucks. This is a 7-1 Vancouver Canucks victory. Sens goals are scored by Austin Watson. Canucks goals are scored by Brandon Sutter with a hat-trick, Tyler Mate, Quinn Hughes, and Olu Levy with his first NHL goal. Shots were 36-35 for Ottawa. Brandon Sutter opens the score for Vancouver to make it 1-0 on a backhand, Tyler Mott scores to make it 2-0 after Shabbat coughed up the puck, which resulted in the Canucks throwing it out front. Austin Watson breaks the shutout to make it 2-1 on a deflection from Shabbat that hits Demko in the mask and flops in. Tanner Pearson scores to make it 3-1 Canucks after Hoglander beats both Zaitsev and Riley to hit the puck over to Pearson all alone. Sutter gets a second of the night to make it 4-1 after Willannon can't gain possession of the puck, which gives Sutter the step he needed to get loose. Quinn Hughes scores to make it 5-1. Ole Ulevi scores his first angel goal on a faceoff to make it 6-1. And Sutter gets the hat trick to make it 7-1, which would be the final. So, I did have to condense watch this because it happened on the Monday after we recorded the episode. I was in the middle of editing. I made the right choice. Yes, you did. Although, to be perfectly fair, you have to give a ton of credit to Thatcher Demko. The Sens were absolutely buzzing for the first half of the game. And he was under siege for the first, I'd say, first 30 minutes of the game. And he put up an absolute wall, stoned the Senators, and unfortunately the Senators just couldn't get a save. And that kind of broke the team's back. Yeah, I mean, let, let's get this out of the way, Tim. Matt Murray, 28 saves, a .800 save percentage. This is easily the worst game he has played as a center. And I... I'll say that. I was honestly hoping he was going to get benched just so it, this would not com- completely break his confidence. But as we'll go on with these games, like I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like he's been terrible in these games. Yeah. And I'm not even going to blame the defense on this one. They actually did a pretty good job of keeping the number of shots and shot attempts down. And unfortunately, like, sure, Ottawa did let quite a few breaks into the slot due to unfortunate misplays. But you gotta make a save. I know. It, it, I... Like, I don't even know what to say. I, I really have lost for words right now when talking about well, Matt Vury. Like the Pearson goal was the backbreaker. Because Watson, like, after the Watson goal came after a very hard one hard-fought shift by the Senators where you had like Galchenyuk managed to get the puck out and then 
cycles off, and you have Nick Paul, Shabbat, and Riley are actually cycling the puck to get it to the net, and then Watson just jams her home, like it, off a weird bounce off of uh, Demko's head. But uh, immediately after that, the Pearson goal is a softie. Now, really, this the only other comment I have on this game. This is the game where Sens Twitter's play the young guys mantra really hit the fan because wow they were pissed like since twitter i don't need to go into our comments about it we've met in the past this is a new level of pissed that i have not seen in a long time well i think it doesn't help that the veterans weren't very good gabranson was his usual pluggy self zaitsev probably played his worst game of the season Mike Riley was on the ice for four of the seven goals against. And, yeah, I can definitely see why play the youngins really ramped up. But at the same time, Tim Stutzla, despite not having his best game, still still wasn't the least played forward. But I really wonder whose Cheerios did Galchenyuk piss in? Well, I would like to know... What did Eric Brandstrom do to piss off DJ Smith? Because it just came out today that DJ Smith is not a fan of Brandstrom at all. And really? I yes, and I think it was um, Simmer. I think Simmer on TSN was talking about that, and I just said, you know what? Yeah, I get it. You don't. You're not a fan of him for whatever reason. But are you me? Are you really trying to tell me that Braden Colburn and Erica Branson? are better than him? Is this what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, I can't really put that all together. <sighs> I just, like, I don't know yeah, anymore. I don't, if I don't see Eric, sorry, if I don't see Eric Brandstrom in the NHL lineup soon, I'm going to be very not happy. I know. Into here, I thought that we were going to get a rant idea this week, too. But no, we're going to be saving that for a future episode, I imagine, eh, Tim? Well, it's just like the right side of the senders is so fucking dire. And, and, and this is the thing about the sends is that on the offensive side of the puck, like, you could definitely tell like they're really trying to get chances. And I'm just looking through my notes here. Every single one of these games, we outshot them. And we and lost. Like- Ottawa had a positive expected goal contribution. It's just not only did Thatcher Demko and Brayden Holtby put on a clinic, Matt Murray and Hogberg were awful. Like, there's rumors that Joey Decord might get some reps. I actually saw it. I think he's uh I think he's up right now because there was a video on I think T S N twelve hundred had a video of him making a save, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was, like, Gabranson, like, blew a tire and crashed into the boards. Freaking incredible. It's amazing. You know, actually, can I can I go on a little rant about Eric Gabranson here for a second, Tim, before we go on to our second game? Uh, he's bad at hockey, sent tweet. <sighs> okay. Now, I've made it not a secret that I played Robin hockey. I did not grow up playing hockey. I did not grow up really skating. Erica Branson is like watching me play drop-in hockey. This guy's in the NHL. He looks like me trying to play defense. 
guess he's probably actually faster in person, but on TV, man, he looks slow. Like, that's the thing about the Sens' defense is that they're so fucking slow. Coburn can't move. Gabranson can't move. The only two defensemen who can move are both injured right now, and that's Will Lannan and Shabbat. Or in DJ Smith's doghouse in Eric Brandstrom. I am so disappointed if he doesn't play that I will never get to make my uh, Brand Van 3000 reference. Well, it's, at the same time, it's also... I liked the idea of the Brandstrom, like getting Brandstrom out of Vegas for Stone. That, that was a good trade. But if the coach is just going to say, fuck it, I don't like the kid because blah, blah, hockey man, you've wasted the asset. Yeah, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me when Guy Boucher decided that Tom Pyatt and Gabriel Dumont were better options than some of the young guys we had, like Drake Batherson, like Logan Brown. Guy Boucher's not there anymore, and Batherson's in the NHL, Logan Brown... I mean, I mean, I think he's on kind of his last chance at this point. But you know what? This is kind of almost like a repeat right now that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gerard Gallant doesn't have a job. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. Like, Gerard, or, um, Gerard Gallant, I, I've seen people on Sun's Twitter talking about him coming to Ottawa. Why would he come to Ottawa? Of all teams, why would he come here? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know where he's going to end up? Seattle. It's Seattle. He's going to end up there. Why do you think he doesn't have a job right now? Do you think maybe there's teams out there that would have probably offered him a job? But he probably knows in the back of his mind that if he holds out, Seattle will come calling. Well, I guess the question is, is is coaching in Seattle going to be better than coaching in Ottawa? And that's an open question. Because George McPhee did a hell of a job with the entry draft, and I don't think teams are gonna get fleeced as hard as they did this time around that is true that is true like i think the golden knights or i guess the vegas covid knights right now as they should be referred to because of their positive tests they had but you know you're absolutely right teams aren't going to get fleeced but also you're not going to get another cinderella golden knights team out of the seattle kraken i'm sorry you're just not going to get that unless somehow lightning strikes twice right True. But yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. And we got two more of these games to talk about. We do. Let's move on to the second game between the Sens and Canucks. This is a 5-1 Canucks victory. Sens goals were scored by Josh Norris. Canucks goals were scored by Tyler Mate with two, JT Miller with two, and Elias Patterson. Shots were 43-35 for Ottawa. Tyler Mate opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Vancouver, cleaning up on a rebound. Josh Norris gets Ottawa on the board to tie the game on the power play at 1 JT Miller scores to make it 2-1 Canucks on a 2-on-1 when Riley blew a tire on. JT Miller gets a second of the night to make it 3-1. Elias Pettersson scores excuse me, to make it 4-1 Canucks through a screen. And Tyler Mott deflects in a shot to make it 5-1, which would be the final. Once again, I, had, I condensed watch this game. Because I was going to watch it, and then one of my coworkers texted me. She's like, hey, do you want to go for a beer? And I was like, yeah, okay. So he did that yeah, instead. You didn't miss much. The Canucks came up flying in this game. I do want to say one thing, and I have this in my notes. How the hell did we get 24 shots in the first period? Uh, basically, 
Vancouver comes out flying, scores a goal, and then just kind of disappears for the rest of the period. And Ottawa just really puts the foot to the floor. And uh, the kid line looked like the kid line and uh, the Nick Paul line looked really good. And actually, I like Stutzel, Tierney, and Brown as well. Like, they looked great. And then coming into the second period, they actually looked pretty darn good too. And then all of a sudden, JT Miller gets a quick two. And Ottawa kind of disappears for the rest of the second day. They can't break Demko for the rest of the game. And it's funny because that was the one comment that you mentioned to me when I was talking with you was that... I can't remember how I put it now, but I know that you said that, yeah, Hogberg landed a softie and the Sens just quit. Yeah, and, like, like I get it. The team's, it's young, it's a fragile team. They're in the middle of a losing streak, but the coach has got to massage this, and the, the goalies have to make a freaking save. It is true, and, you know, I think it was Jason York on Twitter, uh, he, former NHLer, he made a good point. He says this is a this almost looks like a team that needs to go out one night, go out for a real rager, and then play guilty. Because that's what this team is so tense and it's so fragile that it almost looks like they need to blow some steam off and simplify things. And I you know, I understand there's that whole thought process of yeah, you play better when you're guilty, but this, this coaching staff has to do something different here because this is not working. I mean, how many times on Twitter can you say, stop playing at Branson, stop playing this guy, stop playing this guy, start playing the young guys? And you know what? You're We're seeing this. The young guys are really coming up for us. I feel bad on the defense because outside of Branstrom, DJ Smith's hands are tied. His best two defensemen are out. And his his right side is a wasteland, and the goalies can't save a beach ball, let alone steal a game. Because I honestly think the forwards are clicking pretty well. Absolutely. And you know what? The, the more comments I have about these games, the more they're about forwards. Especially Josh Norris. And let, let's talk a little bit about him for a second, because he had one goal on seven shots. I really liked him in this one. And oh. honestly, he should have had two in this one. I will say, and I think you'll agree with me, love, I love the Brady-Norris-Batherson line. It's a legitimate NHL first line. And like with Stutzla coming up, the Senators are going to be kind of scary up front if Dadanov ever... And like here's the thing, even Dadanov, he's getting his looks, he just can't convert. I'm not going to go out and say that Dadanov is a bust just yet. The guy's just insanely snake bit because he's getting his chances. And it's funny because that was the one thing Noodles mentioned on the broadcast last night was he says that Dadanoff doesn't look comfortable. And yes, he didn't have a training camp and he didn't have preseason. So it's kind of understandable, but you're right. Like he just, he's getting his chance and he just, he can't convert on him yet. And I think once he converts on him, you're going to see him start potting him. For sure. And, I actually did like the look of the da- the Dadanov white Paul line that we got to see. I think at the last Vancouver game and the Edmonton game, they were firing. They looked good. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, even Colin Tim Stutzla last night, I thought looked pretty good too. Like I honestly think Colin White, he's kind of picked up from where he was last season, except he can actually put the damn puck in the net. 
Yeah. Actually, like, let's he's let... finally off that off like that PDO cooler. Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, let's talk about Colin White. Four shots in this game. I also really liked him. The one comment I did make for this one is I hope he can build on this to stay in the lineup, and he definitely is. Like I can definitely tell, like he's building on that. And the one nice thing about the Senators right now is that the scoring chances that I'm watching in these condensed games, they're all in the slot. And they're all trying to get the puck into the net. And it's either Demko or it's Holtby or whoever in net is stoning them. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because this is a team that deserved, I think for both this game and the previous game, the Ottawa Senators sure have run away with them. But it's freaking uh, Thatcher Demko. He stole the game for the Canucks. Straight up. Now, do you want to talk about Marcus Hogberg in this game? 30 saves, .857 save percentage. Didn't have a great game overall, but I do say two of those goals he should have had. No problem. I'd say two. He should have had two of them. Like the the softy for sure. But there was other ones where the defense, they let Tyler Mott get right into the slot and have all the time and space in the world the senders are not clearing out their crease. Which is really funny, because last year, that was something the Senators were actually kind of good at, where you had Borvietsky giving guys the gears. And even, as much as I don't like Ron Hainsey, Ron Hainsey wasn't bad at that either. It is true. It is true. And you would, th- you would think with guys like Branson and Josh Brown, like they would be able Coburn. to get it. Coburn, they'd be able to get it out of the zone. And they just, they can't. It's like, it's like watching a quarterback noodle arm a ball down the field. You you yeah. know that these guys could flip it, no problem, but they give this little, eh, little like noodle arm throw. Well, the other thing is, they kind they try to throw the body around, but it's not like it has any effect. Like these guys are getting all the time in the world, and this is especially bad on the power play. And you're gonna see it in the Edmonton game where they're and. Like, that you see it in this game, too, where you're giving JT Miller all the time and space in the world. Same with Tyler Mott. And in the Edmonton game, they get particularly burned by that because they're giving that time and space to Connor McDavid and Nugent Hopkins. And they're not even fighting for it. No. It's true. So like they're giving up these high-danger, high-expected goal shots. And, like, if Hogberg was playing a league... And honestly, I don't think Hogberg played terribly in this game because your league average goalie would still give up four goals this game. That's just how bad the Sens' defense was. Let's move on to the third and final game of the evening between the Sens and Canucks. This was a 4-1 to one Canucks victory. Sens goes to scored by... Hotsambacho! Canucks goals are scored by Brock Besser with two, Elias Pedersen, and... Tanner Pearson. Shots for 37-25 for the Senators. Brock Besser opens the scoring alone in the slot to make it 1-0 on the power play. Pedersen scores on the Besser rebound to make it 2-0. Besser gets a second of the game to make it 3-0 after Braden Holpe threaded the puck to him. Thomas Shabbat gets Otto on the board, driving to that to slide one past Holpe. And Tanner Pearson scores to make it 4-1 Vancouver, which would be the final. Now, this is kind of funny, Tim. Because... This is a game I actually didn't condense watch. Now, you yeah. might think, because you have how I was just describing that, I, might, I condense watch this. The third period is the only thing I condense watch. The first and second period, I actually listened to on the radio. Oh. 
at work because I had a coworker of mine who's a Canucks fan. And so she's like, hey, Tay, you know, I know the Canucks and Sens are playing tonight, so I'll put it on the radio. And I was talking to you about this. <laughs> Every time the Canucks scored, she was within like 15 feet of me and she can see me. And she's like, woo, Canucks. And all you hear is, fuck. <laughs> yeah, this was a this was an experience. Yeah, for, uh, for me too. Because I'm walking around the kitchen going like, are you fucking hostile? What the fuck are you taking this penalty for? Well, here's the thing. Ottawa got a lot of shots in that game. They weren't good. For the most part, the Ottawa Senators are kept to the outside, except for Brady Kachuk doing Brady Kachuk things. And the mo- you could kind of tell that the Sens had kind of thrown in the towel up until the Shabbat decides, I'm putting this team on my back and scores on a brilliant individual effort. Yes. Actually, let's talk about Thomas Shabbat. One goal on four shots. This is the Thomas Shabbat that we all know and love. The guy blasts them from the slot, and he jumps into the play, which resulted in the one goal. Yeah, and it really was a lone effort from Thomas Shabbat. It was. It really was. So, Matt Murray, 21 saves, .840 save percentage. Guy was brutal. Defense really failed him. Next guy, Colin White. He had four shots in this game. Now, I did like him again in this game. I thought that he sh- he could have actually potted a goal or two, but unfortunately it didn't happen for him. Now, how overall, how did you feel about Colin White in this game? Uh, honestly, him and Nick Paul were DJ Smith's only real, like the only forward line that was really clicking. Norris Kitchuk, Batherson line had an off night and the offense kind of suffered. So, the only other comment I have for this game, Tim, is Brady Kachuk. Now, even though he had five shots in this game, this is that's just not the reason I'm bringing him up in this game. The one comment I did see on Twitter was of him getting cross-checked in the face. And you saw him having a fight in this game. There was a moment when he got off the ice, he punched the glass as soon as he got off. And you know well, what? He's he was punching stuff as he was going down the tent. And that's the intensity that this team kind of has been missing. You know exactly where I'm going with this. This is what I want to see. As I said last week where the Sens had no compete level. This is what I want to see. I want to see these guys pissed off. I want to see these guys getting mad that they're in a deep losing streak and can't fucking win. Brady to Chuck, and you know, I know people want to say Shabbat should be captain. I've always said Chuck should be captain. The guy runs on emotion. And that was so refreshing and so great to see that Brady to Chuck cares so much that he was pissed when he got off the ice. And I wonder how much he motherfucked those guys in the locker room when that game was over. Because he's like, guys, we're better than this. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. And I don't know what I don't know if it's stuck, and it also doesn't help that Thomas Shabbat got injured. Do you want to go talk about the Edmonton game? You know what? Yeah, let, let's make a yeah, comment. Let's get this, let's get this, let's get this the one Oiler game for this week up. So the Sens played the Oilers last night. It was and an eight to five Oilers victory. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate this fucking team sometimes. In the first period alone. Like, holy shit. You know what? The only comment I had, because I only watched the second period when I got home, was 
Edmonton dominated. Ed, sorry, Edmonton dominated Ottawa in this period. That's it. So let's do our usual. Let's go through the point list and just kind of appreciate how absurd this is. I'm going to punctuate this with penalty. Sorry, of the period, just so you know kind of where we are. First period, Edmonton goals. Dominic Cahoon, eight seconds into the game. Assisted by Drysaddle right off the faceoff. James Neal fires a laser in on the power play to make it 2 0 Oilers. Colin White brings it back with a beautiful tic tac toe play between him, Paul, and Dadanoff to make it 2 1. The team takes another stupid penalty, and Tyson Berry immediately buries another shot. And it's a bit of a, it's not the greatest. And that's the end. 3 1 Edmonton, 7 minutes 20 into the first. And that's the end of the night for Matt Murray. It gets no better. Not even two minutes later, James Neal puts in another puck at even strength, assisted by Kyle Turris to make it 4-1. On another stupid penalty, I think this one was here, Gabranson just lasers the puck out of the rink. It's 5-1 Edmonton, Ryan Nubichin, Hopkins from McDavid and Dreisaitl. Things turn around with Brady Kachuk from Josh Brown and Artem Zoob's first NHL point on a very nice play where Otto actually managed to sustain some zone time. And uh, Brady Kachuk cleans up the puck for to make it 5-2 Edmonton. Then Edmonton decides to take a penalty, and Drake Batherson gets his first on the power play from Riley and Kachuk. Moving into the second period, it's pretty much all Edmonton, and Hogberg is kind of left dry. Uh, Connor McDavid scores two, literally 42 seconds into the period on another power play. Darnell Nurse pots a goal halfway through the period and Kaylor Yamamoto gets a goal near the end of the period to close it up 8-3 Edmonton at this point people aren't wondering whether the Sens have a chance people are wondering is it going to be Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid that breaks Terrell Sittler's point record for points in an NHL game third period Tim Stutzla gets his second off a beautiful power play goal from Colin White and Austin Watson gets a bit of a grimy one to make it 8-5 Ottawa, the final score. You can't... Like, I think score score effects definitely played a role in this game. Once the Oilers were up 5-1 to one in the first period, they definitely took their foot off the gas for parts of the game. But honestly, Ottawa's forwards looked good, and Ottawa's best defenseman was probably Zaitsev. You have no idea. I've had my hands buried in my face right now. Just you explaining all of that. And the one comment I am going to make, and I will bring this message up I sent to you last night, because I think this really sums it all up. Because I, I don't have any comments on this game. I have no real notes. This is from Sunday, 7.43 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tim, dot, dot, dot. I've been a fan of this team since 2005. My brain can't even fathom just how fucking terrible we are right now. Well, it's like Murray had three goals on nine shots. That is a two-thirds save ratio. That is not NHL level. And there's a gif floating around of the camera zooming in on Matt Murray of him getting pulled, and he looks mad. But at the same time, Dude, you have to make a fucking save. Eric Gabranson was on ice for four of the eight goals. And 
when he wasn't on the ice. He was the man taking the penalty. That led to two more goals. If Eric Branson isn't fucking sitting tomorrow night, I'm going to be very unhappy. The guy's a fucking plug. Absolute dog shit hockey player. Jesus fucking Christ. So, Tim, do you just want me to put us out of our misery and head off into the clothes for another evening? There were some positives to that game. Colin White with the goal and the assist, Tim Stutzel with another. And honestly, the white Dadanoff Paul line did look pretty good, all things considered. But, uh, yeah, bright spots were definitely few and far between in that game. I did really like the play of the Kachuk Norris line as well. It's just the, the goalies got to make a fucking save. And the defense has to be able to move the puck out of the zone. Because <coughs> Edmonton was just. When they wanted the puck, they could have the puck. Edmonton's first power play unit has four goals that game. The second unit never saw the ice. That's how goddamn effective they were. They were four for four. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments, but I think, you know, given that we were supposed to talk about this next week, I feel that, honestly, I should I should close up by saying this. Because I know I always said, if Tim Stutzler scored in these games... I had something special for his intro. Can I just do it right now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sentence goal scored by Tam You could probably just make that or, like you're up like a kind of like an auto tune job. That's the very first time I've ever done that and I think I blew it. Eh, you'll get her. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E-Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email... To talk about all the pain and suffering that we do for you people in these episodes, shoot us an email, thirdlifeplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, so for the games of the week, Tim. Now, the Sens did play last night in Edmonton. So here are the three games that we're going to be talking about for next week. Tuesday, we are in Edmonton to play the Oilers. Thursday, we are in Montreal to play Le Canadien. And Saturday night, we are back home to play the Montreal Canadiens. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Tim Gibson. And this has been Tim Jackson. Go, Sense, guys. <laughs>